0: You are listening to a message by Travis Scott from our gatherings at Shorebreak. Visit ShorebreakChurch.com to get connected with more content. And if you would like to support the gospel being preached in Kona and to thousands online, your tax-deductible donation enables us to further Jesus' mission. Partner with us by giving at ShorebreakChurch.com backslash give. Mahalo. Well, how's it? You guys doing all right? Uh, Why don't you make your way to 1 John, if you guys would turn to... The book of First John, uh, listen, we are so humbled and thankful that you are taking your Sunday to be with us, and we've, we pray every Sunday that God would uh, bless you. Um, there's a lot of things you could be doing on a Sunday morning. Um, church isn't on a lot of people's lists, usually, and uh, but we don't take that lightly, and of all the places you've been, you're here worshiping Jesus with us, what a privilege it is, and um, Want to invite you guys. You know, there's a lot of conversation that happens. How do I get to know more people in the church? How can I get plugged in? I kind of feel like I'm a little bit of an outsider. For one, uh, you're welcome here. Anyone from any walk in life with any background is welcome here. But a great way to get plugged in and connected with the church community here is a community groups. So if you have yet to sign up for a community group, that is a great way to get to know people, uh, not just to know others, but to be known by others that you would live in community, that people would see your strengths, they'd know your weaknesses, you can encourage one another, build one another up in the Lord. And so that for us is a really important part of of why we do what we do as a church. But it's not only community. Um, We also have other events that we get to know one another. And so one of those is coming up next Sunday evening uh, at uh, October 25th at... 4 p.m. at Kahaluu Beach Park, we're going to be doing a baptism, and so you're invited to come out for that. It's going to be a great time, like a barbecue and and baptism, and so uh, let me just say this. If you are a disciple, a follower of Jesus, you love Jesus, you have a relationship with Jesus, but you have not been baptized, the Bible calls and beckons us to not only profess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, but believe in our heart and that our hearts would identify with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And so all baptism is, is not a means to save us, but it is us uh, acknowledging the covenant that God has made with us in his grace that we can enter into all that he would have for us in his death, burial, and the resurrection. So the Bible says, Believe and be baptized. And so if you have not been baptized, we, we, we ask, we invite you to join in that act of obedience with the Lord. And so um, at the end of this worship gathering, go visit the connect table and fill out just a card there. And uh, all we're going to do is just get your information. We, we'll, we'll sit down, talk story with you to listen to what Jesus is doing in your life, to hear your testimony. And then we'll baptize you next week. So sign up, all right, yo? And if you're not going to get baptized, doesn't matter. You're all, you, everyone here is invited to come out and join us at the beach, anyways. We're not going to baptize right away um, because baptisms will be at sunset. Yes, it's as amazing as it sounds, right? (laughs) At sunset. Beautiful beach, come on. It doesn't get much better than that. But before that, we eat, we hang out, we have a good time, we do life with each other. So it's really awesome. You're invited. We look forward to having you out there with us. And so we're thankful you're here today. And for those who have been with us, as you know, we've been making our way through the, the book of First John. It's a book that, that I thought maybe we'd make our way a little bit faster through, but it's so good we kind of have to pause and to savor Every good bit of truth we can get out of it. Whenever I go to, uh, out to eat with my wife, for, you know, if we go out to a nice place to, to eat, um, if the budget can afford it, right? and Or if she makes a really nice meal, I have the, the tendency that when, when food is put in front of me, I consume as fast as possible, right? That's just how I—I I know it's not healthy. I've been told that, at least by doctors. You shouldn't do that. I don't listen, I devour and eat it as fast as I possibly humanly can, and it's gone and to my own fault because my wife will be enjoying this steak that I barbecued or something else, and she's like, oh, this, the flavors, did you taste that? And I was like, taste what? Like I'm already, I guess I've gone too fast through it. And what I first thought we were going to do is be making our way rather quickly through the book of 1 John. Now we're actually slowing down, savoring the truths that are found in this book because I believe they're beneficial for our soul and so good to us. And one of those truths that we talked about last week was that Jesus took the law, and was a redefinement of the law, specifically the commands. so that's why John says, I wrote an old command to you, or I'm not writing any new command to you, but an old one. But it's also a new command. Now, on the surface, that may be like, John, could you please just make up your mind for us? That would be greatly appreciated. Can you decide, is it old or is it new? Well, it's both. It's old in nature that we should love our neighbor, as John would say, that we would love one another that we would love have love for the church and that in Jesus he is the perfect fulfillment of the law and that not only would we no longer just love our the church but we would love our enemies Love sinful people. Love people who are no way worthy of love. And because the law that God has given us is no longer just written on tablets and on stones, but has been etched into our hearts, we can now obey because this truth that was given, John says, this new command is in him and it's in you. God has taken his law, seared it upon your souls so that no longer is it outside of you, it's within you. And God uses by the power of his spirit to enable us to be obedient. That in Jesus, we are able to live a life of obedience we never thought would be possible apart from him. That's what John is saying. New, old, in him and in you through Jesus, who is the perfect fulfillment of the law, It's amazing. It truly is. and In context, that means in loving our brother and loving one another, we are able to love people who do not deserve our love. We are able to love our enemy. We are able to love because love covers a multitude of sins. And so when it comes to these commands of God, one thing we talked about last week was that when God gives a command, what God is actually doing is not just saying, you should do this and you shouldn't do this because Let's be honest here. That's probably how a lot of us understand the commands of God, right? God said, do this. God says, don't do that. And so we're like, oh, I better do this, check. Did this, check, did this, check. The commands of God is God revealing his will to you. It's actually God lifting up the curtain of creation, showing you and me how he created the universe to work. It's an act of his grace. And so when we love our brother, we are uh, walking in the light because love is light and love opens our eyes. And if we are in the darkness, it's because we hate our brother. And when we are in the darkness, the thing about the darkness is you can't see very good in the dark, right? Like stumbling around early in the the early wee bits of the morning. When you can't, you're like, where's my, where's that stupid phone? How can I shut it off, right? You're looking for it. That's us wandering kind of aimlessly trying to figure some stuff out. That's what it's like when we hate our brethren. So when we obey God's commands, here's what we're doing. We're actually aligning ourselves with the way God designed the universe. Isn't that incredible? That we could live our lives in such a way that we'll be in harmony with God's creative design. So this is God's command. now here we are savoring as much as we can, we're making our way through a whopping three verses today for the glory of God. Let's all stand for the reading of God's word. This is the word of the Lord. I'm writing to you, verse 12, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. And I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Gracious heavenly Father, you have given Jesus to us and Jesus has overcome evil. That in the cross, Jesus is victorious. And that this victory that Jesus has, we enter into today. We believe that through the power and the moving of your spirit, that your words would minister to our soul. And God... I, don't, I can't imagine what some of the things some of us are, are going in here. There's no way possible for us to understand the struggles that, that all of us might be going through from different times and seasons of our life. And no matter what we're going through, may today be a day of encouragement, God. Would you edify, build up your church. Spirit of God, would you show us your glorious truths, so that we would become more like Jesus. Help me to be faithful to the scriptures, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Love is more than something said. Love is something that is done. I've shared this illustration before, but... Um, it's kind of funny and true. I mean, it's not true, but it's funny if it were true. That is to say that if I told you I love my family and I love my wife and I love my kids, and uh, you see me, you know, rolling around with the plush leather seats, cool, chilled, digital, adjusting, automatic AC in my car, lowered, 21s, just i mean tinted windows this thing's got swag all over it all right and then you see my wife leaving from here and she's on a moped with a wagon tied to the moped carrying my three children on the way up to home and then let's just say you came over and you hung out and you spent time with us and you see i have a bit i just i have a ps3 and have this ginormous just curved 75 inch Samsung TV and a a big surfboard quiver, and the refrigerator is empty. And I have, we have no, my wife has no clothes in her closet, and my kids are eating Top Ramen 24 7. If I told you I love my wife, would you believe me? Now, why not? Why would you not? Believe me, because what you would do is you would look at, okay, even if I said all day long, I love my wife. I care for my wife. I have affection for my wife. And you look at all the things I do and be like, no, you don't. You're a fool. What are you talking about? You don't care about your wife. Why? Because just because I said something doesn't mean that to be true. Just because I said I love her doesn't mean with my actions my actions would reveal whether I love her or not. And I would argue that this understanding of love is biblical. God never declares his love for you without some action behind it. God does not declare that he has affection and love for his children, just saying empty words and then letting you figure out the rest of your life. That's not how God works. God's love is evident because God's love does something. So, let's think about this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Okay, God loves the world. That's declared, and famously, John three sixteen. Now, it would be great if God just said, I love the world. But what if God said, I I love the world, period. How do we know that God so loved this world? Because God gave his only son. So God speaks and declares his love, and then the evidence of that love is the giving of God. I can't help but think of, how about Romans 5.8? God showed his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So how can we know that Jesus loves unlovable sinners? Because just God said it? No, because Romans 5.8 says that God showed uh, some translations, which I love the way they translate it. God demonstrated his own love for us, that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. You can know that Jesus loves unlovable sinners because Jesus died for sinners. He did something. Now let's reel it in here. Let's pull it into the, the brackets, the, the, the boundaries of 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, But that he loved us, and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So how can we know before we ever loved God that God had love and affection for us? That while we didn't love God, God loved us anyway. How can we know? Because God sent his son, Jesus, to be the propitiation for our sins, See, when God declares his love for us, there is always evidence demonstrated that he loves you. It's not an empty promise. God doesn't just say, I love you, and not do anything. Now, why do I say all this? The overwhelming theme of the book of 1 John is love, which makes sense because it's written from the disciple whom Jesus loved. And if we are going to properly understand everything talked about in First John, it has to be read through the lens of love. And so what John does here is really interesting. In these three verses, six times John says, I am writing to you because... I am writing to you, I'm writing to you, I'm writing to you, I'm writing to you because, because, because. What John is showing us here are the evidences of love. In these verses, John is revealing to us the evidence that God loves you. Not only does God just say that he loves you, he, he actually has done something that he loves you. Now, you might be thinking, okay, but, But Travis, John doesn't say anything about the love of God here in these verses. You're right. But he doesn't have to because all of these truths are evidence that God, in fact, loves you. That God, in fact, loves me. And the scriptures show us that when God says he loves us, God says he loves us because God's love does something. God's love has accomplished something unique and special. You could say God's love leaves a watermark on our life. See, Jesus loves you and Jesus' love will change you. How does it change us now? Draw your attention to verse 12. So you know, Verse 12, we're going to be camping out in verse 12 for, for most of our time. And, and then we'll kind of make our way through verse 13, 14. But I'm writing to you, little children, no new commandment, but an old command. Oh, I'm so, Wow, that was, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. Now, you might be thinking, oh great, John's writing here, he's writing two little children. As we just read, he has said this earlier too, but he says, I'm writing two little children. You might be thinking, well, he's not really talking to me right here because I am not a little child, but he has already used these terms before, and uh, being an older man, he has every right to call anyone younger than him little child. And so... He's fully taking the creative liberty to do that. He is considering everyone else to be younger than him. So if you uh, were varsity football your sophomore year, if you can... Pound more musubis. Maybe you hold the state record for eating the most musubis as possible. Maybe you're a prom queen, or maybe you're a mature, successful business man or, or woman, or you've been walking with the Lord for a while. When John says, little children, don't try to find an escape hatch to say he's not talking to me. When John addresses here, little children, he is addressing the entire church. He's going to address children, cakey, later, But for now, he is addressing the entire church. This is for everyone. This is what I would speak to you. This is what God declares for you. And what he says here is really interesting. I'm writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven. The apostle John is an elderly man and at the writing of this book, he's seen it all. This guy has been through it all. He's watched his fellow friends and disciples suffer, be murdered, probably watch Peter crucified, hung upside down. See men, women, children, all slaughtered for the sake of the gospel. but I think it's hugely important that for us to know no matter how long you have been walking with the Lord or how little or what sins as a child of God you are struggling with, John is declaring to everyone in the church, young, old, seasoned, new Christian, your sins are forgiven. Your sins, child of God, disciple of Jesus Christ, lover of Jesus, your sins are forgiven. You're not going to hear that out there. But John is taking the time to let the church know, the entire church, you're forgiven. And this reality that your sins are forgiven should intensify your thankfulness for Jesus. The most simplistic truth that your sins are forgiven should stir your heart affection for Jesus once again, reminding yourself that you were not once not forgiven of your sins under the wrath and the condemnation of God, but that in Jesus, through the washing and the cleansing of his blood, you have entered into a relationship with God where your sins are are forgiven. Not incredible. Let that it soak in for a moment. A lot of times we get pick up First John and just blow it through. Oh, I'm right into you, little child, because your sins are forgiven. No, your sins are forgiven. That no matter how evil you have been, no matter what thoughts that you've had yesterday. You know what? Sin has tried to define your life because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Jesus, uh, the wrath of God, was coming down towards mankind. Jesus pushes you out of the way behind you. He stands in front, absorbs the wrath of God. Here you're standing in the shadows of your crucified Savior and you didn't receive anything but his righteousness. And the blood of Jesus that flows from the cross cleanses you, washes you, makes you clean. You are forgiven because of all that Christ Jesus has done for you on the cross. Because your sins are forgiven. Now this concept of your sins are forgiven is so foreign to our our culture. I'm going to keep this as anonymous as possible, but I have a, Good friend who has a relative who is famous. And this person, you know, is in the spotlight and is well-known. And anytime you're in the spotlight, you have attention on yourself and you attract all the bugs too, right? Turn on the lights, the bugs show up, right? And this person happens to be a Christian as well, which is good. I'm glad he's a Christian, but unfortunately he has made some mistakes in the public eye, that became aware, and no, I'm not talking about Justin Bieber right now, just so you know. Um, somebody like Justin Bieber. No, not Justin Bieber. And so, this person um, shared that in light of the mistakes that he has made, some publicly, some that were, were seen, shared that he is thankful that the blood of Jesus cleanses him and forgives him of his sin. And people lost their minds. What? I mean, I, I can't say some of the things that people have been saying because they would have to be bleeped out of the podcast and you would never come back next Sunday ridiculous things. No, I mean, people who were religious people, some people even like had like Jesus on a cross, there's like, but there's gotta be some form of penance. There's gotta be some way that this person has to earn back, like that he's gotta prove himself and all that. God just can't forgive. Actually, he can, and he does. He pardons freely. No penance. No obligation? God says forgiven. And the forgiven soul is like, okay, how, how, how can I obey? How can I fall? I want to walk in your light. The enemy, you get you get let me you have an enemy. He is the accuser of the brethren and he does everything possible to let you know you are not forgiven of your sin. More needs to be done. You are not good enough. You are not holy enough. You are not righteous enough. You don't obey enough. And so therefore, you gotta figure out all these other things. Yeah, you're forgiven, but it's partial forgiveness because you gotta do these other things. Nonsense! Even there's, there's our flesh and the spirit that are at war within us and, and this war happens where, where the spirits are oh, joy and the liberty of Jesus. You're forgiven. And the flesh says, but, but more must be done. More must be done. The enemy and this world and your flesh will always try to downplay the forgiveness of Jesus' blood on the cross. Let me say that again in case we forget we become so numb to this culture. The world is Your flesh and the enemy will always try to minimize what Christ has accomplished on the cross. So, this is why I'm telling you here because you're not going to hear it out there. Christian, you're forgiven. It's one of the most important things, really, a Christian can dwell on. That's something you need to preach to yourself. You need to remind to yourself. I love what theologian Jonathan Edwards said about this. Jonathan Edwards said, The doctrine of the forgiveness of sins is a capital doctrine of the gospel. That Of all the doctrines of the gospel, near the top, at most, one of the things that the Christian must think about, know, and understand is you're forgiven, you have been cleansed. And so if we're looking for watermarks, evidences of love of a true believer, there is no clear evidence that God loves you than he would give you Jesus to forgive you of your sins. And so if you ever struggle at any point in your walk with God, trying to grasp that Jesus has forgiven you of your sins, let me just encourage you, look to the cross. When you set your eyes on the cross, all that you need to know about their forgiveness of sins was placed there. This is amazing. This is encouraging. But before we get too excited now, before we like run ahead of John and be like, yeah, oh, this is awesome. It's all, you know, this is so great and it's all about me and God is about me and God forgives me and it's me and it's me. And it's me. Why did God forgive you of your sins? See, that, that's a thing we, we probably don't haven't really thought about that much, right? why did God forgive you of your sins? Well, to forgive me of my sins. Because He loves me. Yes, what was the main reason God forgave you of your sins? Was it for you? Well, just look at verse 12. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven. Here it is, four words, for his name's sake. Underline that, circle that, put that in your notes. God has forgiven you the main reason for his name's sake. See, one of the misnomers of modern Christianity. And this is prevalent. All you have to do is go on Facebook and see people's posts. Like, God just can't live without me. God can't, I mean, he, he just, God is all about me and, and, and God's he forgives me and, and what happens is we create this God who has an ego for us and that God somehow needs love from us, that God needs from us and, and, and that God wants and desires from us and then if God doesn't receive from us, then God is not complete. It's true. You don't have to go very far or listen to too many sermons today to realize that that is true. Let me just ask, though. Let me just ask. Does God need anything? Is God in lack of love, affection, praise? Like, no. Because if we shut our mouths, guess what? The rocks are going to cry out. God doesn't Need us, yet God desires us and uses us and and wants us, but we have to step outside of this because, again, these are great truths. God has forgiven me of my sin. Yes, for what reason? For his name's sake. God's ultimate motivation to forgive you of your sins is so he would receive glory. God's ultimate motivation to forgive us of our sins is so that Jesus Christ would be glorified in and through our lives. All the million parts in creation, God is taking them and moving them to bring glory unto himself. There is not a part of creation, there is not an evil person that at some point, God will not take all of these pieces and move them to bring glory unto himself. Example, Pharaoh. And we know Pharaoh, right? Egypt, incredible stature, I mean, leadership, the, one of the most powerful man's on earth, throne, riches, fame, and glory. And God acknowledges all those things to be true about Pharaoh, by the way. But in Exodus nine sixteen, this is God talking to Pharaoh. It says this, but for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. So, this is, this is really interesting. What was the motivation, the purpose of God to give Pharaoh his f- seat on the throne? To allow Pharaoh to raise up in power, so that God would crush him for His glory. That's the Bible. If you don't, if you're not, if you're like that, I don't know. That seems that, that's that is. The God that we worship, that he raises men up for judgment and on his own glory, and he raises up for men for the forgiveness of sins for his own glory. Everything that God does is for the sake of his name, is for the sake of the glories of his praise that all should be given to him. The theme of creation is the glory of God. Not so that we would receive glory but that even in my redemption, God would make his power known. Travis used to sin. He loved uh, everything else other than you. He lived for his own pursuits and desires. He was bound and destined for hell. And God in his rich mercy and power forgave him of his sins, not for Travis's sake, for his name's sake. That's all of our testimony. You guys know we, we all share the same testimony. God redeemed us for his name's sake, not for our own glory. And that's, that's where I get afraid when you hear some Christians like, you know, you hear their testimony and their testimony is me, me, me. And it's like, okay, but at what point does this turn to Jesus? Because it's all about him. See, when we are forgiven of our sins, this is God inviting us to join in the story of creation to magnify God, himself. All of God's activity is for his glory. All that God does is for his namesake. I wish we had time for me to prove to you all the places in the Bible uh, for his namesake. In fact, it's, it's on the calendar at some point. We're going to do a topical series working our way through the Bible. Don't worry, it's through the Bible. All the places where God says for his namesake. He did this, he did that. I mean, there's so many places. All that God does is for his namesake, but we, we don't have time to go there. See, God forgives you of your sins so that you would freely give him glory. And now that John has addressed the entire church, he's going to get more specific. But even as we look at all these specifics that he's going to mention here in these verses, just so you know, I believe at one point or another, they will all apply to your life, okay? They all will apply to our lives at some point. After all, this is the word of God. I'm writing to you fathers, he says, verse 13, because you know him who is from the beginning. That word fathers there does imply father, but I think it also could be implied as a spiritual father. Older men and women who are seasoned walking with Jesus within the church because he says, you've known him from the beginning. In other words, when the gospel was first declared, you believed, you repented, you've been following Jesus. And so he's commending them fathers. I'm writing to you because you know him from the beginning. Then he goes on to say, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I'm writing to you children. That That's cakey there. That's younger children. I'm writing to you children because you know the father. So there were young children even in the church that were saved and who love Jesus. They know God as their father. How amazing is that? I write to you, verse 14, fathers, he's repeating himself because you know him who was from the beginning. Maybe the fathers would have forgotten that in the first verse. So you're just reminding them. So you know, in case you forgot, from the beginning, I write to you, young men, because you are strong. And the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. See, what John has been doing up to this point is forcing us to be introspective, to see if we bear the watermarks of gospel transformation. And here he's changing his tune for a moment. And here John is strengthening their watermark. There's no rebuke. Guys, there's no rebuke here. He is assuring them. He is encouraging them. That's why he says, "I'm writing to you, fathers. You know him who is from the beginning. Young men, you've overcome the evil one. Children, you know the Father. I mean, you have to. I mean, you can go to the park, and children are dropping bad words, like really." Wicked words. Like my kid was. Just so you know, my kid. A kid. One of these other kids took like a shark plastic thing out of his pocket and was trying to stab my kid at the park. He was four. There are young men who are doing wicked and perverse things with women, with other men, with their body, with their eyes, with the way they handle themselves at work. And there are older men and older women who are not living for the glory of God. There was a great fallout then. There has been a fallout today, even within the church. But John sees those who remain, those who are still walking in the light, and he seeks to encourage them. They're children who love the Lord. They know God as their father. There are young men who have not given themselves over. They're winning the battle against their flesh. They have overcome the evil one. There are fathers who know God as their father. They have not fallen away. You can read the news, you can read things that are happening The pastors are doing and Christians are doing, and it can become pretty disheartening. But it was happening in John's day, it's happening today. John is encouraging the church. If you're fighting the good fight, keep fighting. You've known him from the beginning. That's why I'm writing to you. I'm writing to you because you know God as your father. I'm writing to you because you've overcome the evil one the church is having victories. That amongst their failures, we are, function, we are dysfunctional, we are flawed, but among our flaws and our dysfunctions, we have our victories in Jesus, and that is who John is addressing here. A soldier who's lost hope cannot continue on fighting the battle. Right? We fight from victory. We don't fight for victory. Jesus has won the war. We are forgiven of our sins. We don't fight for victory over sin. We fight from victory over sin. Doesn't it change your motivation when it comes to you struggling and pressing on? There is no defeat for those who are in Jesus' light. There is no failure. And God, in his word, has made it so known to John through the power of the Holy Spirit, which is bearing witness. God, this is just an observation of these three verses, God sees the steadfastness of his children. I want you to write that down and encourage it. God sees your faithfulness to him. God does not turn a blind eye towards your obedience. God has his eyes set on you, and while it's all for his namesake, he sees your faithfulness. He sees those moments of agony and tears and pain when you struggle over sin. He sees those moments when you do something that no one else sees. No eyes have, have set sight on the good things that you've done for his glory. In fact, this is Speaking of the knowledge of God, knowing all things, speaking to his omniscience. And a lot of times it can be used in a negative sense. God sees all the sin, all the screw-ups, all the, which those things are true. But if we're in Jesus, we're forgiven of those things, right? But hear me out. God sees everything good and right you do for his glory. God sees when you flee and turn away from temptation. God sees when you choose not to sin. He sees your faithfulness to him. So to the single mom struggling right now, to the, the dad having a hard time with his family, to the single person who struggles with loneliness, to the older person who is dealing with health issues and their, their body breaking down, to, to anyone in here struggling with financial issues and you're, 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 you're tempted to, to steal or you're tempted to cheat or you're, you're tempted to do any area of sin, but you've been faithful to Jesus. Let me be an encouragement to you through the Apostle John. God sees your faithfulness through your depression, through your anxiety, through your victories, and through your highs and your lows, Jesus sees it all. Nothing done for the glory of God is in vain. You guys, nothing you do for God and his glory is meaningless. Can't help but think of Galatians 6, 9, which says, and let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season, in due season, If we don't grow weary in doing good, we will reap if we do not give up. And we won't give up if we're in the light. Look at the end of verse 14. And the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. The evidence in these scriptures that God's love you, that God loves you, Those who are in the light are given courage and hope. The scriptures stir up our souls and reinvigorate us once again to live in the light. So, now to come full circle here God has forgiven you of your sins, and God remembers your faithfulness. That's what John from here. God has forgiven you of your sins, and God remembers your faithfulness towards him, and it's all for his name's sake. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that all that you do is for your glory, and that you invite us to join in creation song of magnifying Jesus. With every struggle, with every moment we turn from temptation and turn to you, with every anxiety, thought that does not glorify you, God, you wash us and cleanse us by your blood so that we would come to know you. And now as we're praying with our heads bowed, eyes closed, Spirit of God, would you move in such a way that would regenerate souls so that we would see the light of Jesus, believe on his name, walk in the light. If you know you're a sinner and your sin rules over you, you are part of the kingdom of darkness. And through the Spirit of God, by the grace of Jesus, he will transfer you to the kingdom of light. Believe on his name, and you will be saved. Confess your sin, and he is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all of your unrighteousness. And to the Christian who has lost hope, John is writing to you, because Your sins are forgiven. Thank you, God, for giving Jesus, who washes us and cleanses us of all our sin. In his name we pray, amen. We hope that Jesus is doing a work in your life from the message that you just heard. We would love to hear how you were impacted and what was impressed on your heart. Share your story by emailing connect at shorebreakchurch.com. And if you don't know Jesus as God, Lord and Savior, or you have more questions, Send us an email to info at shorebreakchurch.com so we can get you dialed in with a free Bible and resources for your new relationship with Jesus.